When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Coming right at you on the Mojo 5 radio network. The nations of Europe and North America are engaged in a grand experiment. Guided by Western traditions of religious tolerance, the United States, Canada, and many European nations are importing millions of Muslim immigrants. I call this an experiment because for over 1,400 years, Islam has been at war with non-believers, including, but not limited to Christians and Jews. The goals of this conflict have not just been territorial conquest, but religious submission as well, as ordered by the Quran. It's not an exaggeration to say the results of this grand experiment could be the, the end of Western civilization. To discuss this, we're joined now by Robert Spencer. He's director of Jihad Watch and author of over 19 books on the topic of Islam, including two New York Times bestsellers. His most recent is The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS. It's available now on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and you can find his website at jihadwatch.org. That's jihadwatch.org. Robert Spencer, thank you for joining us on right now. Hey, happy to be here, Jim. Thank you. Well, it's a great honor to have you. I think the last time we spoke was uh, almost 20 years ago, and uh, we were talking about the same topic back then. Um, and I, I have to note that rarely has someone sounded an alarm so loud and so long as you have, uh, but your warnings about bringing radical Islam and jihad into the West have uh, largely gone unheeded. So, uh, Yeah, got- well, there's... Go ahead, Jim. No, you, Sorry. I, w- I was just going to say, guided by the old uh, uh, maxim that uh, those ignorant of their history are doomed to repeat it, I'd like to give you uh, the, audi- the opportunity to uh, give a, a brief uh, history for our audience uh, on the conflict between Christendom and Islam and how it relates to contemporary events. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Uh, the, you're absolutely right. Probably... Even fewer people now are aware of the nature and magnitude of the jihad threat than they were 20 years ago. And this is because of a concerted effort by Islamic and leftist groups to blame the United States and Israel pretty much entirely for the modern phenomenon of Islamic terrorism and to claim that it's all just a reaction to the supposed ills and evils of those two governments primarily which, of course, doesn't explain at all the reality that Islamic terrorism is found today on a pretty much regular basis in places like the Philippines, Thailand, and many others that have nothing to do with Israel or the United States. And uh, actually, as I show in a book that I published last year, The History of Jihad, that 
uh, jihad terrorism, warfare by Muslims against unbelievers, against non-Muslims, is a constant of Islamic history and has been going on ever since the beginnings of Islam in the 7th century, there is actually no place anywhere in the world where there have been Muslims living together with a large number of non-Muslims and there being peace. Uh, There has always been conflict, just as today there is conflict everywhere where there are significant numbers of non-Muslims and Muslims living in close proximity. And in every case, without any exception, that Violence is initiated by the Muslims. So you're saying that uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and um, what we're witnessing today are are not manifestations of Western colonialism? That's right. And they're not misunderstandings or hijackings of the peaceful teachings of Islam, as is often claimed nowadays. It's kind of a ridiculous claim, if you think about it, that all these jihad terror groups and their jihad terror groups on every inhabited continent uh, they all are misunderstanding Islam and misunderstanding it in exactly the same way. It's it's ridiculous that people have ever bought this, but uh, it's kind of a page taken from the uh, propaganda techniques of Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister, when he said that uh, you get uh, you you formulate a big lie and then you just keep repeating it, and after a while, people will believe it. Tell and the big lie and tell it often. What we see has happened. Yeah, exactly, because it can only get over by dint of constant repetition since it's so contrary to the evidence that we see around us all the time. Well, I have not studied the Quran, uh, but I have uh, perused it and referred to it uh, in regard to uh, some news events. And the impression I get is that it was a document that was drafted as a um, a governing um, theological uh, form of government designed specifically uh, for its expansion and conquest. And um, it seems like that learned people these days have turned a blind eye to that reality in favor of uh, some form of uh, multiculturalism. And as I say, uh, if they're right, then that would be a recipe for peace. But if they're wrong, the consequences would be disastrous indeed. Yeah, that's what we're heading to because, yes, you're absolutely right, Jim, that Islam has been political from its very inception. Uh, There is really no Islam without its political uh, governing apparatus, the Sharia, being implemented. Uh, And it's not me making this up. Muslims will tell you this, that Islam is not truly Islam unless it's implemented as a political system. And so you have where Islam is not implemented as a political system, you pretty much have Muslims working for that implementation all around the world. And groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, from which al-Qaeda and Hamas and other jihad terror groups come, they loudly proclaim all in, in their uh, groups all around the world that no government that is not constituted according to Islamic law, even in Muslim countries, has any legitimacy, that on the only legitimate government is that of Islamic law. Well, you know, I've got a clip here. It's kind of a long clip. It goes uh, a little more than a minute. Uh, this fellow's name is Mohammed Tawadi, and he's appearing on uh, the Christian Broadcasting Network, and he's he's trying to warn people that, uh, I think he's referring to France in particular, uh, that uh, the very nature of Islam requires uh, subjugation and conquest, and that if uh, they don't wake up to that fact, uh, what they can expect. 
the current beginning of the death. It's already happening. There are areas in France where Christians cannot walk. Uh, freely. Uh, President Macron has come out saying that the uh, Islamist movements want to secede from France. This is a, a leader of a country telling you that he has lost control. He's admitting finally that he has lost control. Uh, there, are, there are serious agendas being played in that region. Look, I am a Muslim, but I cannot live in an Islamist theocracy. I can live in a Christian government based on their constitution because that is where peace lies. I can't live in a place where ISIS rules uh, the area. That's no Muslim with, with, with a brain that works would want to live under ISIS, right? And when we come to the West trying to warn the governments and intelligence agencies about what is happening, about the people we fled from, we have this new political correctness agenda that tells us, oh, we're the racists, we're the ones who are traitors, and the extremists needs to be understood and embraced, and, you know, they have a point, let's listen to them, and sooner or later, they're in parliament, they're in government, and there you go in America, you have Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, change the narrative in Washington that is now uh, in affecting the whole influencing and affecting the narrative around the world, attacking Jews, attacking Christians, and this is just the beginning. So if, if Christians don't wake up, Christian leaders don't wake up, then we Muslims who fled from extremists can't help you. Well, Robert Spencer, why do you think that uh, the, the leaders in the Western nations are so paralyzed to, uh, to push back against uh, what appears to be happening Leftist and Islamic groups have very cleverly played the race card and claimed that it's bigotry and hate-mongering and Islamophobia to call attention to the, uh, to the reality of political Islam, to the fact that it is against the freedom of speech, against the equality of rights of women, against the American constitutional freedoms uh, that we enjoy in many ways. And uh, they have been able to smear and demonize and marginalize pretty much everybody who calls attention to these issues. Yourself included. Uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. And so even Tawhidi, who you just played the recording of, he's a Muslim, but he has not escaped charges of being Islamophobic and uh, hateful because he opposes political Islam. And this is a very, very effective tactic, which is one reason why they keep doing it. It's because it keeps working. Uh, when you have politicians who are facing being charged with being bigoted and racist, they're, they're looking at the end of their political career. And so they fall into line and they say Islam is a religion of peace and they refuse to investigate or even consider seriously the inroads that the adherents of political Islam are making in the West. Well, Tahiti uh, there mentioned, uh, you know, the election of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. And um, I've, I've noticed uh, since the the rise of these two freshmen, first mo- uh, Muslim women in Congress, that uh, each of them has um, missed every opportunity to condemn radical Islam or even ISIS or Al-Qaeda. And I've got a clip here. Uh, this is Ilhan Omar being asked directly at a news conference uh, to do just that. Can you respond to some of the president's specific claims, most notably that you're a communist and that you're pro-Al-Qaeda? You might have noticed how when he said, go back to where you came from, there was an uproar um, through the... Um, through all of our communities because every single person who's brown and black at some point in their life in this country heard that. 
Now, when he made the comment, uh, I know that every single Muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment. And so I will not dignify it with an answer. Well, she's not dignifying it with an answer, but I went on a a concerted search trying to find any time when she had actually condemned radical Islam or even terrorism, and I was unable to find anything other than her steadfast refusal to do so because she was saying it was unfair to ask her. Uh, And it occurred to me that uh, considering the community that she uh, was elected and it being a hotbed of, uh, you know, radical Islamic uh, recruiting, that she may be unable to to condemn uh, radical Islam without putting herself in danger. So um, go ahead. Well, she certainly would be putting herself in danger of not being reelected because, uh, yeah, this is the terrorist hotspot of the United States congressional district it's the leading site where terrorist recruitment is going on more american terrorists have come from that area than from anywhere else and so it's very clear and it's no exaggeration to say that there is quite a lot of support for groups like al-qaeda and isis in ilhan omar's congressional district now that doesn't necessarily mean that that's why she won her election but it certainly means that she's being a very canny politician when she constantly sidesteps the issue of whether she actually condemns these jihad terror groups because she knows there are people who voted for her who would uh, support those groups and she doesn't want to alienate her voters well i couldn't help but notice as well that she filed a uh, an affidavit with the court in support of a lenient sentence for several uh of her constituents that had been recruited to uh, ISIS and uh, and were arrested by the FBI. Yes, her positions have been very consistent all the way through. Uh, she is always criticizing the United States. She is always uh, calling attention to the ills of our society, real or imagined. And uh, she has never, you know, you can do the same thing with ISIS that uh, you, you did with Al-Qaeda and she, while she called for leniency toward these, these ISIS guys, she's never uh, supported in any public way any kind of action against ISIS or other jihad terror groups. Well, Robert Spencer, um, I want to thank you for sticking with us after the break. Uh, when we come back, I want to get a little bit more into uh, the history, the actual history of the, um, the, the conflict between Islam and Christendom. Uh, if you'll stick with us. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Stand by. Does your current bathroom need to be updated immediately? Introducing One Day Bath and Shower Remodeling, the complete and hassle-free way to get the new bathroom of your dreams in as little as one day and for as little as $1.99 a month. Yes, the experts at One Day Bath and Shower Remodeling will come to you anywhere in the country and show you all the customized options. Now you can have a brand new bathroom in as little as one day. Large or small bathroom 
bathrooms. If you want a new bathtub or shower installed, we can do it in as little as one day. And if you call right now, you can save $750 off your remodel. We make it easy by offering you financing as low as $199 per month. Call now to schedule your free in-home consultation. 800-693-3152. 800-693-3152. That's 800-693-3152. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. We're talking to Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch and author of The History of Jihad from Muhammad Isis. Uh, Robert, just uh, just give us a, a, a primer on the rise of uh you know, the, the founding of uh, the religion and the rise of the conflict between Islam and Christendom. The conflict goes right back to the beginning, to accounts in Islamic sources of Muhammad, uh, the prophet of Islam, who, according to those sources, in the year 630, two years before he died, led an expedition against the Christian empire, the Byzantine Empire, uh, which was the foremost exponent of Christianity of the day, in, the, in those days. Uh, He led an army up to attack a Byzantine garrison in northern Arabia. There was nobody there because the Byzantines actually didn't know or care about Muhammad at the time. But Muhammad kept coming, uh, and the Muslims kept coming after his death. In the year 675, they besieged Constantinople, which at that time was the largest, most important, greatest city in the Christian world. Uh, and the center, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, they uh, besieged it for the first time. They returned back. They made many, many other tries uh, over the years and finally were able to conquer the empire and, and enter Constantinople in the year 1453. Uh, this was a 700-year siege. Of, yeah, 700-year siege, absolutely. It was off and on, but they just kept at it. And meanwhile, conquered what had been all of North, what had been all of Christian North Africa, all of North Africa, including Egypt, Algeria, Libya. It was all Christian areas. Some of the greatest saints of Christian history, Saint Augustine and uh, Saint Cyprian, they came from North Africa and lived there all their lives. The uh, Muslims, however, co- completely obliterated that Christian civilization, conquered Spain and other Christian area, held it for seven hundred years. And uh, really, the whole heart of the Middle East, which is considered to be now the center of the Islamic world, uh, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, etc., those were all Christian areas until they were conquered by the Muslims. And it's really been the most successful conquest in world history, as there's been no, except for Spain and Israel, there's been no pushback, no no significant resistance, just the... uh, complete islamization of the areas and to this day uh constantinople located in modern day turkey turkey is a uh, well it's quickly being uh, reformed from a formerly uh secular government under um uh turk uh, i can't remember edouan turk Erdogan. Uh, well yes i was i was trying to remember the name of the guy that that converted it uh, to a secular uh government oh i'm sorry yeah that's Ataturk. Ataturk, Ataturk. correct and uh, and actually has uh, Islamic uh, toehold there on uh, on that part of Europe, and uh, therefore they are members of NATO. But um, you mentioned uh, about the the you know uh, 
raids, Islamic raids on Europe, and we're very sensitive these days to the history of slavery. A little-known part of history is that the Ottomans of the day uh, were uh, big slave traders and enslaved uh, literally millions of Europeans uh, during that period. Yeah, I've got the accounts of some of those slave raids in the book, The History of Jihad. Many people don't know it, but uh, Islamic slavers came up from North Africa in the 1500s, 1600s, and actually uh, made raids in England, in Iceland, and elsewhere in the uh, in Northern Europe uh, to take back people from those areas and make them slaves in North Africa. The slave trade that was conducted by Muslims was actually much larger in scope and lasted much longer than the transatlantic slave trade that... Uh, brought the American slaves to the United States and that we hear so much more about and there's still so much controversy about in the United States 150 years after abolition. Uh, it really was quite small and narrow in scope compared to Islamic slave trade to the Islamic slave trade that we hear hardly anything about. So the uh, the nation where this Islamization, if you will, uh, is furthest along is the nation of France. Uh, do we see uh, a social uh, and civil disintegration there that you might expect? Yeah, absolutely, because there are many of the people who have come to France who have not come to France to have a better life, to have a better uh, job and so on, but they've come in order to conquer and Islamize France. Uh, people think, oh, that's ridiculous, it's uh, it's conspiracy mongering or something of that kind. But this is in the words of the people who themselves have come, that they say, this is why we are here. This is what this is all about, to Islamize France. And there are many, many areas in France now that are very controversially known as no-go zones. A lot of argument back and forth about them. The Paris mayor actually threatened to sue Fox News a few years back, um, because Fox was referring to no-go zones in Paris, and she said there are no such things. Uh, and uh, it's noteworthy, however, that that suit never materialized. Uh, the controversy really comes over of the fact that pe- there's no real accepted definition of what a no-go zone is. Uh, people say that there are no places where non-Muslims are not allowed to go, and that's true. But that's not what a no-go zone necessarily Taking is. Taking your life into your a hands. No-go zone, yeah, it's a place where Islamic law prevails, not the law of the land. And so the uh, non-Muslims have to watch what they do and watch what they say, or they're going to be in big trouble. Uh, that's what a no-go zone is. And in many cases in France and elsewhere, there are cities where police and fire personnel don't even want to enter because they're afraid of being attacked by Muslims in those areas. And so they're very much are these kinds of no-go zones, and the controversy about them is to a tremendous degree simply an attempt to cover up the reality. Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed uh, in Europe, not only in France, but in Sweden and uh, in Belgium and other places that have welcomed large numbers, is that um, they'll go on these uh, rampages where they'll burn cars, and they'll burn hundreds of them at a time. And it occurred to me that, uh, you know, that's kind of a form of ethnic cleansing, because you make the the neighborhood and the area is so untenable for the um, for the you know former inhabitants, uh, you know, having their cars burned and and uh, the minarets uh, playing the uh, the prayers over loudspeaker three times a day that it actually forces them out 
and and gives them uh, you know free uh, reign in these enclaves that they've created. Yes, absolutely, and that's actually one of the primary objectives of doing that. Uh, the idea is to make it such that the people who live in those areas don't want to stay. And then only Muslims move in, and pretty soon you have another one of these Islamic enclaves where Islamic law is essentially the law of the land. Well, the Islamic law you're referring to is, of course, Sharia, and we've heard a lot of talk about Sharia law. And uh, it, it has always amazed me that uh, you know people who call themselves liberals or leftists are so ignorant to uh, the strictures of Sharia and uh, and are such defenders of people who advocate uh, its implementation uh, right here in this country. Uh, just uh, uh, explain some of the things that are contained in Sharia that are uh, contrary to what we would understand as uh, a liberal, um, you know, Western values. Well, Islamic law forbids criticism of Islam. So in the first place, there's no freedom of speech. Uh, second, it uh, says that, that, that might, that might result are, to, that might explain why they're so you know keen to murder people who who draw um, cartoons of the prophet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly why. And uh, it says that women are inferior to men and that men can beat women from whom they fear disobedience. And that language that they don't say they can uh, beat women who are disobedient, but just those whom they, from whom they fear disobedience, that they think they might become disobedient. Uh, and so it denies the equality of rights of women before the law, uh, denies the uh, uh, free inquiry, free discourse that we take for granted in the United States, although that, of course, is changing as well. Uh, it's very virulently anti-Semitic with all sorts of things being blamed upon the Jews and mandates a second-class status for non-Muslims under Islamic law. And so this also is something that's at variance with the rights and freedoms that we take for granted here in the United States. Well, you know, um, we've witnessed several uh, honor killings, so-called honor killings, most recently, um, I think about a week ago in Texas, where uh, there was a, a, a man who uh, killed his sister because uh, they had brought dishonor on the family. Is that uh, is that a stricture in Sharia law? Yeah, it's uh, it's in Islamic law that there's no penalty for a uh, father who kills the child. That this is something that is simply allowed without any uh, uh, worries about being punished. And there are many Muslim countries, accordingly, where honor killing is simply not uh, punished in the same way as any other kind of murder. That you have, for, in other words, reduced penalties if you can prove that it was an honor killing. Is there any example worldwide uh, where Islam has uh, coexisted peacefully uh, once, um, once Islam became the majority? No. Uh, there is not only no example worldwide of that, but also in Islamic teaching, there is no scenario envisioned in which Muslims and non-Muslims live together in a society where neither one is, make, is uh, trying to assert hegemony over the other. Uh, instead, the Muslims have a responsibility 
before Allah to uh, establish their hegemony over the non-Muslims, to subjugate them under the rule of Islamic law. I recall in the Clinton administration when uh, the uh, NATO actually <clears throat> went to war in Kosovo to, uh, to stop um, the Serbians from uh, reasserting control over that province. And uh, and shortly after, uh, you know, we forced the Serbs to withdraw and turn the place over to Kosovo, uh, they began uh, ethnic cleansing it of, of Christians, uh, including uh, burning their churches. And now, you know, the province of Kosovo is almost entirely um, free of Christians. Yeah, and uh, this is no surprise at all. Anybody who is aware of Islamic doctrine and Islamic history could have said at that time, and I was saying at that time, that this is what's going to happen. And it's not that uh, we were clairvoyant, it's just that there is no contrary example. There's just no example of Muslims behaving any differently. Whenever there are Muslims and non-Muslims, then the Muslims are subjugating the non-Muslims. You know, you, you look at the, uh, the uh, video clips of uh, what's happened in Kosovo and other areas like that where they destroyed the antiquities and the the treasures of the previous, um, you know, civilization, and you wonder, um, you know, what is the future of uh, places like France and England that uh, contain all of these historic uh, treasures? Robert Spencer, we got to run. We've, uh, we've got to run. I thank you so much for being on. Robert Spencer is the director of Jihad Watch and a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. His latest book is The History of Jihad. From Muslim, uh, from Muhammad to ISIS. The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS, available on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble. Robert Spencer, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.